Thank you very much. First of all, a thank you to the pastor for asking me to preach. I don't take that for granted and maybe you take a big chance now. <laughs> I'd also thank you for receiving my wife and me and our 42 children from the children's home plus a few more into the church. I also don't take that for granted. You have received us well and we are thankful for that. Now the last few days I have watched and read about quite a number of pastors. Not just your common local church pastors, but big time pastors, tele-evangelists, hotshot preachers, or whatever you will call them. And it can really make you depressed. Because so many of these well-known preachers are not even Christians. They profess to be, of course, but their theology and their lifestyle reveal them to be far from Christians. And common to so many of them is that they are teaching a non-biblical message called Prosperity Gospel. They often have very big churches with lots of members who are sucked dry for their money as much as these pastors can get hold of. And their money will not necessarily go towards helping people, but to finance the pastor's private jet, private cars, private houses, and a lavish lifestyle. And the same members and well-wishers often desperate for a miracle in their lives are tricked into believing that sowing a seed, preferably a big one, can heal their sicknesses and bring financial wealth to them. These preachers never ask, what can I do for you? But rather, what can you give to me? If you study these churches a bit more, there are some very strong evidences against them for failing to meet biblical standards for a church organization. But by all means, you don't need to be a well-known American televangelist to do or say stupid things. Just recently, there was this pastor for a local church in Zambia, a church called Zion Spirit Church, that wanted to prove the power of resurrection. I don't really know the pastor's motives, but he agreed to resist this young man of 22 years, who also happened to be a traditional healer and member of his church, to let himself, that is now the young man, be buried alive outside the church. The young man claimed that he had done this before with success, so no reason to worry. Church members were dancing and singing there outside the church for the man to resurrect. But after quite some time, it was obvious that nothing much was happening. So they decided to pick the man up again. And when they opened the casket, the man had suffocated. 
The pastor and the two other church members who assisted in this act, they fled and police were looking for them. You just wonder how a pastor can involve himself in such foolishness. At least he didn't consult a functioning and sober board of elders. Today we have come to chapter 5 in our series of going through the book of 1 Peter. And this is the last chapter of 1 Peter. And it is dealing very seriously with a matter of church organization and more specifically about elders. And by that I of course do not mean to single out a specific denomination and say that this is the only biblical one. Different denominations have different structures without this necessarily being a problem. But since Peter talked about elders in church in this chapter, we at least much must, as a basic, assume that the church needs to have a function of elders, even though they might be called differently in the various denominations. And I put a headline on this sermon that I hope will summarize somehow the whole preaching today. I have called it, What Can I Do For You, Jesus? Because the message today is of course not only about elders, but also about you and me who are part of the congregation and want to live according to the Word of God. So let us read the 14 verses that make up chapter 5 of 1 Peter. I'm reading from the New International Version, and the headline for the first part, verses 1 through 11, is to the elders and the flock, and the last three verses are final greetings. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds for God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of, of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, help us to understand what we have read. Take it to our hearts and practice what we have learned in our daily life. Amen. All ancient cultures recognize the importance of having elders in the society. Elders were not defined as everybody who had become old or having reached a specific age, but as specific people who had lots of wisdom, experience from life, and often good counseling skills. These people were therefore sought by many to deal with problems arising. Now in my own culture, in Norway, we have to go many hundred years back to find the function of elders. But from Kenya, you of course know the importance of elders in society even up till today. Therefore, the role of an elder in traditional African society definitely has some points of recognition when we talk about the function of elders seen from a biblical point of view. As we can see from what we have read, Peter very much acknowledged the role of elders in the congregation. He was very well aware also that leaders of the Jewish nation often were called elders. In Exodus chapters 3 and chapters 12, 19, we find instructions about the maturity and wisdom that an older person should have. Some of them might qualify, of course, while others could be significantly younger. Remember the examples that I told you about in the beginning of, should I say, not-so-Christian pastors. I think in many cases they are allowed to be pastors because their churches are not following a biblical church structure. In starting a church, it is of course important to choose leaders who have the same vision. This includes the theological profile. I mean, if the leaders of the church have very different theological profile, it will not work. There will always be trouble. But this does not mean that we cannot differ on questions of less importance, like who wrote the book? The, the book of Hebrew, or did Moses write the first five books of the Bible? The answers to those questions, and many others, have nothing to do with our faith as such. But it is of course the important issues we have to agree upon, such as who is Jesus, how do we get saved, and so on. Problem with this prosperity gospel stroke 
faith movement preachers is that they never will choose elders, if they have any, that will go against them if they preach wrong doctrines according to the Bible. They will choose yes sir people and probably give them a big enough remuneration so that they don't want to leave. Then the structure of the, of the church will of course be a very authoritative one with a pastor on top. And the pastor will basically have all powers including choosing and firing elders and other leaders of the church. The pastor will be untouchable. And mark my words, that is highly unbiblical. And let us look into why. Peter describes himself as a fellow elder. Among the disciples, he both had a questionable, questionable honor of denying Christ three times, but also a position of what we can call the first among the equals of the disciples. In all the listings of the disciples in the Gospels and Acts, he is always the one that is mentioned first. Have you noticed that? And Peter, in the scripture we read, continues to say that he is a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter saw Jesus suffer. And even after Jesus' resurrection, Peter knew he was not left alone, but could still be in contact with Jesus. He could talk about Jesus to other people. And he could see people be added to the kingdom of God. He knew that the church has only one cornerstone, Jesus. And that whatever they do or say in the church, out in the streets, in the family, and with friends, has one goal. To let other people see Jesus and find his salvation. Then he continues with what is the key function of the elders. Be shepherds of God's law. And here I have to skip in something so that we don't misunderstand. Let me tell you about the relationship between pastors and elders. You didn't think I would let you off the hook, did you? <laughs> I presume you know the meaning of the word pastor. It simply, it simply means shepherd. Somebody who's taking care of the flock. So, when Peter talks to the elders here, he also means the pastors. I find that a former pastor of the congregation that I am a member of in Norway put it very nicely. He said, I am an elder of the congregation who just happens to be the pastor. Again, I'm an elder of the congregation who just happens to be the pastor. Therefore, just bear in mind that when we now continue to talk about the elders, the pastors are included. Peter lays down some criteria for being pastors and elders that I think are hard to swallow 
for many of today's pastors and elders. Because Peter goes on to define what we can call the what description of an elder in the congregation. Listen to what he's saying. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter is here giving some of the most pointed and clear instructions about elders that you'll find in the entire scripture. And the first thing Peter says is what I just called the key function of the elders. Be shepherds of God's flock. You remember Peter's restoration to disciplehood and service for God. Peter and some of the other disciples were out fishing when they saw the resurrected Jesus preparing a meal for them on the shores of Lake Galilee. And mark those words also. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the rescuer of mankind, was preparing a meal for them on the beach. Him, the biggest leader ever, was serving them. And by this, of course, giving us an example about true Christian life. The conversation Jesus had with Peter was about one thing. Do you remember his words? Jesus told him, one, feed my lambs. Two, take care of my sheep. And three, feed my sheep. And why does Jesus talk about both lambs and sheep? Well, I think that is obvious. Lambs are the young ones. Sheep are the adults. Or to make it even clearer, in our context here in church today, the lambs are the young ones, those who are now in Sunday school. And youth gathering, Jesus himself, was very occupied with the children and youth simply because they are so vulnerable to so many things. To have a well-planned and good work for the children and youth in the church is therefore very much according to the heart of Jesus. And why does Jesus say both take care of and feed? The spiritual feeding of the sheep, now meaning all of us, happens among other places in church. But how do you spiritually feed the one who has not eaten the normal food? Who literally speaking has a growling stomach? How do you spiritually feed the woman who was beaten by her husband who came drunk home from the pub last night? How do you spiritually feed the child who is sexually abused? How do you spiritually feed the young man who has a drug problem? 
How do you spiritually feed the lady who is depressed? And we can mention so, so many problems. It is not enough to just say pray. We must also do. We must ask, what can I do for you? That is when Jesus' word about take care of comes in. The spiritual feeling is not enough. In fact, Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant church in the 1500s, put it this way. We are saved by grace alone, but thereafter follows good deeds. We are saved by grace alone, but thereafter follow good deeds. Feed and take care of. They go together. They cannot be separated if you want to be a living church according to the Word of God. We must ask, what can I do for you, Jesus? And then show it in practical deeds for our fellow human beings. This is also why one of the most important tasks for the elders in church is to organize what we would a Greek word from the New Testament called diakonia, and which you know from English, nam namely diaconal work. And what is diaconal work? It is to ask Jesus, what can I do for you? It is taking care of children. It is making sure that the youth have a place in church. It is caring for the sick. It is visiting the old people who cannot come to church. It is identifying people with problems in the neighborhood. It is caring for those who have an alcohol or drug problem. It is helping people with practical tasks and thus showing God's love for them. And we can continue. Organizing such things is part of the elders' work description, so to speak. Because a church who just talk and don't walk is a dead church. While a church who both talk and walk is a living church. It is that simple and at the same time that difficult. Because most people today, they don't know um, anything or they don't want to hear anything about sacrifice. What is itching the air is to hear about what you will get when you become a Christian. Therefore the so-called prosperity gospel of health and wealth is so popular. Therefore the so-called faith movement, name it and claim it or whatever you call it, is so popular. Because in those connections, it is not about what I can do for others. But they always ask what God can do for me. But the gospel is all about what you will give. And I'm not talking about money. Money is a natural thing to give to the ministry and to support your church, of course. But after having received salvation, it's all about giving in a much broader sense. All about what you will give in order to care for one another. In short, what you are doing. 
It is a question whether you are able to walk your talk. To ask Jesus, what can I do for you? And then show it in practical deeds for your fellow human beings. This is also why Peter to, to the elders is stressing that being an elder and pastor include watching over the flock that is under your care. And he adds a few characteristics of an elder. First of all, do it willingly and not because you must. Therefore, and thereafter he gives a big kick to the prosperity gospel faith movement people. He says that no elder should be an elder or pastor by pursuing dishonest gain, but being humble, alert, and of sober mind. We are not in church to get rich on material things. We are in church to promote a life in Jesus Christ. Being rich in material things is not necessarily a sin in itself, but it is also not a goal in itself. At the same time, Peter is far from unaware that being a Christian and following the word of God sometimes also brings sufferings. This brings to mind the word by Paul, which goes so far in 2 Timothy 3.12 to say that, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Paul, and mark this, Paul, himself chronically sick, probably with epilepsy, you know the disease where you fall down and you have fits. Tell us to expect persecution. Paul must be a real joke to the health and wealth people. In our chapter today, Peter says that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In other words, even though we, including elders and pastors, may suffer for a while, there are also promises from God to restore us, to make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Because Jesus, in the great mission commandment, has promised that he will be with us all the days of our lives. The main issue today was about elders, including pastors. But let us make it very clear. Ultimately, it is not just about elders and pastors. It is about you and it is about me. It is about all who belong to Christ. It has to do with how you and me serve him. How you and I respond to his calling. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, but thereafter follow good deeds. One of the artists that I have followed since I was a teenager, and which I really listen to and love, is Bob Dylan. He describes the connection between being saved by grace alone and good deeds very nicely in one of his songs. 
allow me to end this sermon by reciting this song. Here it is, Bob Dylan talking to Jesus. In fact, I have quoted the title of the song several times during this sermon because the song is called What Can I Do For You? It goes like this. You have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see. What can I do for you? Pulled me out of bondage and you made me renewed inside. Filled up a hunger that had always been denied. Opened up a door no man can shut and you opened it up so wide. And you've chosen me to be among the few. What can I do for you? You have laid down your life for me. What can I do for you? You have explained every mystery. What can I do for you? Soon as a man is born, you know, the sparks begin to fly. He gets wise in his own eyes and is made to believe a lie. Who would deliver him from the death he is bound to die? Well, you have done it all. And there's no more anyone can pretend to do. What can I do for you? You have given all there is to give. What can I do for you? You have given me life to me. How can I live for you? I know all about poison. I know all about fiery darts. I don't care how rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, tell it to my heart. Well, I don't deserve it, but I sure did make it true. What can I do for you? Let us pray. Dear Jesus, you have given us a great challenge today. Not just to elders and pastors, but for everyone who has accepted Jesus into our lives. The challenge that we take with us today and the time to follow is, what can I do for you, Jesus? Bless everyone present. In your own name. Amen.